what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am a co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris Fry with me here as always, the other co of the co-director and co-founder. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing good. I uh, saved myself some hours of sleep last night by not staying up and watching the Golden Globes. So I am wide awake, had my cups of coffee, and I'm ready to discuss films. Okay, awesome. Good, good, good to hear. Yes, I, I did not watch the Golden Globes either. I figured I could just pull up an article this morning that shows me all the winners and I get the same information I would have wanted from the telecast in general. There you go. Um, but again, very odd year, obviously with the, uh, the way they're handling the awards and having to do everything virtually. And it is delaying what we're going to talk about a little bit later, not only the winners of the golden globes in our new section, but kind of the implications it may be having for the Oscar race, which is a little bit longer. We've got a little bit more time to wait for uh, those nominations and the awards Oscar this marathon. year. This year. That's true. Not just a race. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But before we get to all of that, talking Golden Globes and some of those news items, we do have two films that we'll be discussing in this episode and reviewing for you. First up will be a film by Shaka King, Judas and the Black Messiah, starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. And then we'll be discussing the film Rams, a remake of an Icelandic film starring Sam Neill and Michael Caton. Uh, That's going to be coming up a little later. And then we'll move on to some movie news where we talk about the results of the Golden Globes and uh, maybe preview a new trailer that just released we'd like to talk about a little bit. And we'll wrap up the show with our recommendation of the episode where Chris and I each recommend a film that we think is worth checking out if you have time. Um, And I think that's our show. So what do you say we go ahead and get started with that first review, Chris? Let's do it. Okay. First up is uh, an HBO Max exclusive. Well, I mean, it went to the movie theaters, but more people are going to be seeing it on HBO Max. It is by director Shaka King. It is Judas and the Black Messiah. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. Looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. In Judas and the Black Messiah, we have the story of Fred Hampton, deputy chairman of the National Black Panther Party, who was assassinated in 1969 by a Cook County tactical unit on the orders of the FBI and the Chicago Police Department. Alongside that story, we also have the story of Bill O'Neill, who infiltrates the Black Panther Party and working with an FBI agent and J. Edgar Hoover. So, Chris, we have a film here where we've got two, I guess you could say two characters that we're following, Mm -hmm. uh, just as I talked about in the introduction there. Obviously, intersecting stories, but we've got two characters that are going through some developments in a very, very interesting time period of history here. Uh, We have Daniel Kaluuya starring as Fred Hampton, uh, the chairman of the National Black Panther Party. Lakeith Stanfield starring as Bill O'Neill, the one who actually infiltrates the party, uh, working with an FBI agent. Um, Along that, Jesse Plemons playing the FBI agent that Lakeith Stanfield's character works with. And then Dominique Fishback playing Deborah Johnson, who becomes uh, involved with Daniel Kaluuya and... uh, uh, and involved with the Black Panther Party in general. Chris, in this, when we're following two characters that both have some interesting storylines going on 
And we're also talking about a very critical, pivotal time in American history. Um, How did the film do in balancing and sharing stories of both characters? And did the film as overall as a whole work for you? So, you know, it, it is a problem because they're, they're really interested for me. It was the film. I mean, it worked for me, I guess, as much as you could say, um, you know, a biopic that I had seen documentaries about Fred Hampton and about the whole black Panther party. So I already knew, and you mentioned the assassination. So you, I kind of already knew the circumstances around it. So there was going to, there were no surprises for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like something within the screenplay maybe just seemed a little loose or looser than I thought it would be, especially considering, you know, we had shown the trailer, not shown, but we had a little bit of the trailer, talked about the trailer on an earlier show, and we were both looking forward to it. And it was just such a dynamic trailer and kind of setting a tone. And the performances in the film, the Keith Stanfield, Daniel Kaluuya, like you mentioned, I, th- I think they're really good, but just some of the pacing just seemed like it just kind of laid there. And there are some dynamic scenes where Fred Hampton is giving some speeches and, you know, he is, he, he's a great order, you know, that they, he, you know, Daniel Kaluuya does a good job of portraying him. Um, so that was effective and that was, you know, dynamic. Then you have some scenes where you have conversations in between the FBI agent played by Jesse Plemons and Lakeith Stanfield. There's some tension there. There's some great, you know, great moments. But overall, I was I was really surprised at how the the film just didn't move for me. It didn't really click for me like I like I thought it would. Mm-hmm. So, um, I will say something also note, which I've heard people kind of go back and forth on. Martin Sheen mm-hmm. is in this film playing J. Edgar Hoover. Um, J. Edgar Hoover when he appeared for the first time, I was like, Whoa, that guy, you know, that, that guy looks really freaky, which I guess is supposed to be part of the point because Jagger Hoover was this really domineering figure and you know, really intimidating. Um, and then I kind of didn't know who it was at first. Mm-hmm. And then once I knew it was Martin Sheen, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, but I know there's been a lot of blowback. They said like his makeup's ridiculous. They find it really distracting. Oh, I'm um, kind of how like maybe I felt in some of the things with like the Irishman, although that was a lot of mm-hmm. digital. I think this was practical stuff. Yeah, I think it was all um, practical for me. I, I thought it was cool. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> so, I, I liked this part. I, right. I liked his, I liked this part. I liked the performance. I liked the way it was played off. Um, I, I, uh, I did really enjoy this film. Okay. I do echo some of the same concerns you have. And the reason I kind of even started with that intro lead up is that I do feel like it's a film that's trying to balance two different characters and storyline developments and both equally important, but a little tough to pull off in one film. And I think gotcha. that may have caused it for me to be just a little less effective than I was hoping. I was fascinated by the story of Bill O'Neill, the, you know, car thief in the beginning who actually starts to work for the FBI. The way they introduce his character in the first little bit and just his relationship with the FBI in general was very interesting, but also something I felt like just kind of tapered off over time and more of the energy went to uh, Fred Hampton. Again, very, very interesting storyline there too, but I feel like it was, it, it shifted from one to the other. And I felt like we just didn't really get to follow one as deeply as I, I think we'd like to. It's really two films. I mean, it could have been two films and two stories with this. The interception intersection of the two is important because obviously Bill's role in Fred's life is important and kind of leads to the culmination of the film. But um, I was just really fascinated by the Bill O'Neill character. And I, I kind of wanted more of his relationship with not only Fred, but also with the FBI and, and, and how that was developing over time it seemed to be very haphazard as it was kind of rolling it out throughout the rest of the film. When I think this is my first, uh, Shaka King film. And I think it is what he's done other work. He's done TV work and shorts, but I think it's his first like major studio film. And yeah. some of the, yeah, some of the, I think that balancing act, maybe that's where kind of a newer person it shows that maybe the balancing act isn't quite as confident. Mm-hmm. Um, something that felt really odd to me, like you say, I along the same lines, thought Fred Hampton's, his 
storyline, his arc was handled really well. Mm-hmm. But it was with Bill O'Neill where I felt things kind of tapered off and they mm-hmm. weren't really adjusted very well. Um, specifically, there's a scene where Bill O'Neill goes and visits uh, Jesse Plemons, Roy Mitchell's mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And they have this conversation. And I thought it was really weird. And, you know, sometimes taking an original attack on a scene such as that is like, okay, he's going into the lion's den. He's at this FBI agent's house. He's there for like a cookout or like a barbecue mm-hmm. or something. It's like this ostensibly, you know, fine little thing like, a, oh, get to know me type thing, which there is tension in that. And that's good. But what was odd to me was in the scene, you don't see, it's like they didn't want to pay to have extras. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, and it's just him sitting on a couch and Bill, and like, I think he has his, one of his kids at some point, but then he goes to put the kid down. And it's just like, it felt really weird because like setting it up is like, okay, here's the situation. He's walking into a trap. There's this like party going on. There's a family. There's, I would assume like a wife there's, and it's just like all off screen. So it's like in a smaller budget thing, you wouldn't be surprised. It's like, Oh, well they can't afford Mm. all these extras. They don't have the time to set a scene. They're just cutting right to like the point, but it just, it felt very, isolated in a vacuum mm-hmm. as opposed to woven in to the rest of the film for me. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, felt it was kind of odd. Um, I will say I, I the things I, I really admired about this film, I thought the acting was all excellent. Sure. Absolutely excellent. I'm to a point now where I will basically go see anything Daniel Kaluuya or Lakeith Stanfield are going to be in these days, seeing the two of them together and their, their times that they got to play off each other. Very, very well done. And I do want to call out, I mentioned her in the introduction, but uh, Dominique Fishback as Deborah Johnson, I thought was extremely, extremely she good. She is really good. Um, a role that you think is going to be a very uh, insignificant role early on turns out to be a lot more impactful. And her closing scenes um, during some of the, the, the horror of the, the final moments we have in the film was very good. <laughs> very, very good. So, uh, so I was really impressed. And Jesse Plemons, uh, yeah, this guy keeps popping up in films we're seeing these days, and I think he gets better and better. He he's got a type he plays, but he, he plays it really, really well. And uh, he he was also really good here too. So I do think acting wise, it was a real powerhouse uh, performances there. And I will say this with Shaka King, although I do feel like the script was a little meandering and tried to cover too much ground and not really do enough with with each individual uh, person or or, or storyline. I do think he has a really good knack for portraying building up tension and heightened drama, but never at the expense of forgetting the importance of the story. So there are moments that are, I hate using the word thrilling because that's not the word you want to use, but they're intense and they're built up drama, but yet you never forget the importance of, Hey, this is what's happening. And this is what this is why this is happening. And I think, he balances that drama and intensity that you would expect to get from a more of a crime drama or a gangster drama. And he's got it really nicely balanced with overall the importance of what the story is saying and what happened. And um, it's the kind of film it makes you mad, you know, by the end. I mean, to think about what's transpired and what happened and the people that were involved in it. Um, So I, I do think there was a nice balance between tension, drama and, and, the importance of the story. I just wish the story was either a little tighter or a little more focused or had spent more time uh, digging in on one, one storyline or the other. So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it's really easy to play, I guess, armchair filmmaker instead sure. of armchair quarterback, mm-hmm. but I could see an interesting take where you make a film focused on Fred Hampton and then you kind of pull a, um, Clint Eastwood flags of our fathers type thing. Hmm. And you do the same film, but do it from the perspective of Bill O'Neill. So it's kind of like a, that would a be sequel or whatever. Yeah. And that to me would have allowed you, because obviously these are two very interesting characters, just so tough to do one film on both. Yeah. And so, yeah, that I would have liked to see, you know, Shaka King do that or something, you know, but well, and thinking more about it, I, I think it's a little bit the fact too, that, Fred Hammer in the early stages of the film is is a little more of a mythical figure. I mean, he's True. he's not you, you don't get a lot of direct interaction with him as much and it's more of everybody's talking about him and you know the impact he has on people. And I loved it when we dug deeper into Fred Hammer and his relationship with with Deborah and just some of his own insecurities he's dealing with and concerns and fears. 
I loved all of that, but I felt like once we kind of peeked behind the curtain and we got to know Fred, we lost sight of Bill O'Neill, the FBI side of things, because that's where they're trying to learn more. And it's almost like we as the audience are now getting to learn things that the FBI don't doesn't get to learn and that, that reduces some of the the impact of the film, I think. So how did you feel about the um the recreated footage bookends? Um I liked it. I did not. Okay. Um, <laughs> and in, in part, I think what made me, and I'm there again, I'm not going to get into mm-hmm. spoiler territory, but um, even though this is a historical event, so it's like most mm-hmm. people know things, but um, I didn't bother me the first book, you know, at the beginning of the film, yeah. but when they came back to it at the end and they used it again, they then, after that kind of ended, they revealed some things in some on-screen text and that bothered me. And they mm. actually did a switch between some actual footage of Bill O'Neill yeah. talking and then like cutting between that. And, the, and it felt, it felt kind of like a cheap, cheap shot to me. Um, I, I, I will say it was impactful to me. I mean, like read I, again, I knew nothing about this story going into it. Right. So unfortunately, so I had a little more of a benefit than you did. And that I did not know. I did not know what was going to be happening with Frank and Fred Hampton's character. I did gotcha. not, you know, I did not know where the storyline was going. I don't know. I didn't know what really happened in real life. So I, I kind of went in with a little more um, lower, uh, not lower expectations, just no expectations of story. So that closing lines and uh, those closing testimonial interviews, uh, they got me a little bit more probably because I just wasn't expecting anything. Mm-hmm. So um, the whole last 15, 20 minutes was, it's tough. It's a tough watch. It's a tough, tough sequence on film. I think well done and well acted for sure. Um, I could see how you could see that title, the, the closing title and the closing testimony clip to be a little, little bit of a, a cheat, but it, it worked for me okay. personally. So yes, yeah, so overall, I think, you know, Judas and the black Messiah. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not the masterpiece I kind of was hoping for, <laughs> sure. but it's not because of the lack of acting or the lack of content or the story it's telling. It's all very, very important and, and, and well worth a watch. Absolutely. Sure. I just, um, I, I think it could have been a little tighter. I think it could have been a little more focused. Um, I think it could really had an impact if it picked one or the other primary character that we're going to be following and uh, really digging deeper on that. So, but it sounds like you were maybe a little more let down than me just because you might've had a little more expectation going into it as well. So yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. But Judas and the black Messiah is still absolutely a worthwhile film to see. I mean, I do think uh, we'll be talking about this film a little bit later in the golden globes because it did actually walk away with an award. Um, And I think it's going to be in the Oscar conversation to some degree is my personal feeling. Definitely on the acting side. I think there'll be some acting nominations no matter what. Um, for a couple of the key roles here. So that is Judas and the Black Messiah, again, directed by Shaka King. It is available on HBO Max. I know it's also been showing at some select theaters, but for uh, most people right now, that's probably going to be your best option for going to see it, would be on HBO Max. Chris, let's move on to our second film uh, that we're going to be discussing. It is a remake of, I think, a 2015 film, uh, Icelandic film, and technically the same name film, although obviously it was in Icelandic when it was released in 2015. But the film's name is Rams. Look at you, my beauties. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. But you're the best. This is the one we've all been waiting for, folks. The Calvin Horn Ram judging. Fine Ram, all right. Gonna be a busy boy, I reckon. What do you mean? Okay, the Grimerson brothers find themselves the last two standing yet again. And Les Grimerson is the winner. Yeah. Oh, come on, Cole, cheer up. You two haven't spoken in 40 years. Why start now? Les is Ram. He's sick. Farmers have been shocked by the discovery of a highly infectious disease. Her control plan has been put in place in the hope of containing the outbreak. We spent half our lives in here. It means everything to them. That's it, mate. They're taking the whole bloody valley. Why don't they take us while they're at it? Finish the job. You gotta follow the rules. 
Sam Neill and Michael Caton star as a pair of brothers in Australia who raise sheep living next door to each other, but they haven't spoken in decades because of a long-standing feud. Things manage to become more contentious when Colin, played by Sam Neill, discovers that his brother's prized ram has a rare and highly contagious lethal illness. So with Rams, uh, this is the 2020 version, as you mentioned, not the uh, 2015 version from Iceland. What was your overall experience with this film, Alan? Um, I like this film. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. It, it, it was, you could do worse than watching this film. Let me just put it that way. I, I, I had a good time watching it. It okay. was, I think, enjoyable, uh, interesting, because I, I think the whole ram breeding Australian outback, a lot of elements that, you know, we're not as used to seeing. So I'm always happy to see kind of a different side of uh, a life that I'm not used to. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I think Sam Neill and uh, Michael Caton are having kind of fun with the role to some degree. I think they seem to be kind of, I don't know, Sam Neill, I've never really seen him do uh, what borders on, I don't want to say slapsticky, but kind of physical comedy that he gets to do a little bit more of here in a few moments. Gets to kind of act out a bit. Uh, you know, I think they seem the like w- they have hum for the wilder people. There was a little bit of that, but I felt like this was a little bit more bordered on that situational comedy in some situations we'll talk about in a little bit with, with the plot. But, uh, gotcha. overall I, it was, it was a fine film. Um, I, I don't think it was terribly, terribly well-made. I don't think it was the best storytelling. I feel like there was a a lot of things that they could have done more early on to kind of build up a little bit of awareness with the characters and with the whole ram breeding culture. But overall, I think it was good. If anything, this film got me more interested to see the original because I'm curious the tone and style of the original, if maybe it was a little bit of a better fit than, than what we got here. But again, I enjoyed it. I think it's a well worth film to watch. And, um, but I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. What what do you think of it? So, you know, this is kind of the, (laughs) it's kind of the broken record from the first review. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately for me, I felt like, which I was curious because you hadn't seen the 2015. No. I had. Okay. And I, and I liked it. Okay. Um, But when I heard they were remaking this, I was like, okay, they're moving it to Australia. So it's going to be in English. Okay. Sam Neill, he's a known quantity. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. You know, Miranda Richardson plays kind of a love interest. I've, you know, aware of her work as well. So I was like, cool. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And in the original, the brothers had the same type of relationship. But what was interesting in that film is I felt like there was even maybe 50% less dialogue hmm. in the film overall. And a lot of it was just action happening and brothers facial reactions and like not even because they obviously don't talk to one another, but there was something about it that actually communicated kind of a weird, almost kind of quirky humor. I don't know how yeah. to, how to explain it, but, and definitely very like a very Icelandic sense of humor. So kind of mm-hmm. this like very low key understated type thing, but it, but it worked. Um, and I felt like this just, it was just kind of like a cliff notes version. Mm-hmm. So it really, it really didn't achieve what that film was able to, but then it's unfair maybe for me to hold them up against one another, but it is a remake. So you can't help, but, yeah. but it didn't bring anything new to it. And then some of the ways the 2015 film was unique. I felt like this one wasn't. Well, that was probably my, my biggest, the whole time I'm thinking, I wonder if the original was more unique because there really wasn't anything unique about this. And Again, it's an enjoyable story. Don't get sure. me wrong. And again, I, I came in not having seen the original. So I'm, right. I'm coming into this with a first blush. Um, I, I thought the story itself was interesting. The two, you know, you have, like you said, the two um, ram breeders that are, are uh, have their farms and they lose all the animals because of this disease and kind of what they have to do to kind of make amends or to get through this, this situation. And of course, exploring the relationship between the two brothers um, I do think the, it was well cast. I think Sam Neill and Michael Caton, I think are good in those two roles. Um, well, Michael Caton get to play the more, the shaggier, a little more, a little more despondent, a little more, uh, uh abrasive brother. And Sam Neill seeming to play the little more, uh, put upon brother over, over the years. And, 
but seeming to do a little bit better in his life than than his other brother. So right, and I, I thought Neil did a good job in playing the part, and not that Caton didn't do a good job, but something about and they're again bringing baggage from the other film. The relationship, I didn't feel like I knew or I believed the relationship enough yeah. between the two brothers. The yeah. other one felt pretty authentic. And this one was more, seemed like just a, a comedy, excuse for comedy. Yeah. And so it didn't it didn't work quite as well for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a far fault of um, Caton. I just think it just, it just wasn't there. Well, yeah. I, I think in general, it, it does seem to kind of like, I think you, you said it right, the Cliff Notes version. Even in not having seen the original, I feel like this is hitting the, the, the key moments that you need to hit and that's it. So, for example... You know, there's competitions going on where they are pitting their rams against each other in these competitions. Um, more shots of the underside of rams than I really need to see anytime soon. So I'm I'm yes. I'm caught up on my underside of ram shots. <laughs> One too many grabbing of ram testicles. Yes, I, I'm I'm good on that. I have checked that box. I'm Agreed. done for a while. Um, and. Uh, but the other, you know, but the whole competition, I think, is interesting because obviously it's something that you start to understand. There's a lot more animosity between the brothers because of this competition. Mm-hmm. But I felt like it was almost like, yep, show you one, and then just kind of move on, and and it didn't really build it up. The relationship with the brothers, you're right, was handled kind of very slightly, where you get a little understanding of why they're they are the way they are. But I just don't feel like it was really ever dug into very deep which would have made the ending a lot more impactful if I felt like we had a little more build up to why these brothers are the way they are. Well, and so this film's like two hours. Yeah. The original was about 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where that extra half hour went in this Mm -hmm. one, but it felt like it really wasn't achieving any character development. Now I will say, there was the beauty of Australia was sure. on display in the cinematography. It looked amazing. What was established in both films, and I think they achieved it in this one, was an atmosphere of the farming community that seemed very lived in and authentic. The way mm-hmm. the farmers react, you know, interacted with one another, the way they bonded together to try to figure out how they were going to overcome the fact that, you know, their sheep were getting sick. Like all that felt all that felt yeah. authentic, mm-hmm. but somehow, like you're saying, even despite the longer running time, the believability between some of the brothers thing just wasn't achieved. Yeah, so no, I, I will say the part of the film I probably enjoyed the most, and I don't know why it's, just, it's a very kind of odd part of the film to enjoy, but, um, the mechanics that Sam Neill's character went through in his home <laughs> to house the Rams again, not, not I'm not going to give away too much of, of what happens there, but, he has to do some things within his house to accommodate some animals right. and the mechanics, the, the, what he has to do on a regular basis to make this work, I thought was pretty interesting. And actually <laughs> I would have liked more of that. I want to know how do you keep this ruse going up for so long? Right. And it was touched on and we got a few moments of it, but again, not anything they spent a lot of time on. And um, really from the running time, Chris, there's a, there's a whole 10 minutes late in the film i'm just gonna say riding on like a little uh like a little um not a, not not a, a little uh four-wheeler okay late in the film that i don't i still don't really understand what was happening there like there was just a whole moment where they were riding i know there was fire coming and, and they just kept riding and riding and riding and then Anyway, uh, I don't want to give away too much of it, but I, I do think there's some moments where I, I question, you know, what is this, where is this going? What is this doing development wise? And it did extend that, that running time to the point where, like you said, I don't really feel like it added anything to it. So, Well, and complaining about endings being manipulative, again, <laughs> broken record for me. Um, I felt at the end there's, there's, kind of, you know, there is a fire that you're discussing and thing mm-hmm. complications ensue. And then they cut to post fire mm-hmm. and the way they set things up, you're assuming certain things. Yeah. And then they kind of have this little gotcha moment in there. And I was like, seriously, like, you know, <laughs> and I'm not talking about the end shot, which the very you know final shots kind of show you 
maybe a rationalization behind what was going on with the four-wheeler trek that took yeah, forever. right. Um, but still just maybe not as handled as well as it could have, not as tight as it could have. I think that's one more of my thing is, I, yeah, the more I think about it, sure, I can kind of start to piece together what, what was going on in that last little bit, but it wasn't told just very well. Just not effectively told. No. Yeah. And yeah, I did feel like the post, post-fire... Um, it was a little ham. It was a little, I'll admit the, the last moment we have, um, there's a scene where Michael Caton's character is, uh, trying to help his brother, um, at the water side, at the, at the, at the coast. Yes. I thought that was really good. I thought that was actually a well done scene. I wish it had earned it more through the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Like, mm-hmm. okay, wow. That was, it was a good scene well acted and it was a, a nice emotional moment, but I don't feel like it was earned at all. So right. uh, I don't understand how they could flip a switch and now this person would feel differently. So um, yeah, a little shaggy, a little, a little tough to, 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 to make all the emotional moments work when so you didn't really Rams build them up. Right. Sheared. Is that what you're saying? Uh, a little bit? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I meant to say, but you, you, you took it right out of my mouth. So very nice. Yeah. No, I think, I think again, it's a good movie. I think I had a good time with it. I enjoyed it. Uh, it is something we're showing for our foot candle members right now or on our foot candle online cinema. I definitely think it's worth a, a worth a view of it. I, I just, I do think probably have, if you'd seen the original, you could probably be a little let down by this and just know that I, I don't think it's the tightest storytelling that it could have been. But um, I think it has some, it has some fun moments. It has some very, I think well done emotional moments. Uh so overall, I, I, I'm going to give it a pass. I'm going to give it a thumbs up and say, uh, I think it's worth watching. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the same. I, there was, you know, it, it's nothing to make it stand out from a lot of other films, but it, it's not a bad film. Yeah. So. I mean, there again, as we're picking and choosing content that we get to watch at home, sure. you know, and uh, uh, you could do worse than, you know, a couple hours watching Rams and uh, Australia and checking out the beautiful Australia outback and, uh, and some, some good performances, I think, too. So. Sure. Okay. Well, that is Ram. I didn't even mention who the director was of this. I felt bad about that. Jeremy Sims was the director of Rams. Now, he was not the director of the original, correct? Correct. The original the original person both wrote and directed the film, Grimmer, I'm just going to butcher the name, but Grimmer yeah. Hakanarsen or something. But And he acts as like a consultant on this film, I think, or okay. maybe a producer. But no. So, yeah. he Completely different crew yeah. making this film. Right, so. right. Okay. Well, that is Rams. As I mentioned earlier, it is available on the Foot Candle Online Cinema, which means you, yes, you, could actually go and watch this film anytime you want to on our cinema. If you go to footcandle.org, there's a button across the top for the virtual cinema. You go there and uh, you can buy a ticket to watch Rams anytime you'd like over the next little while while it's available at the theater. And uh, as well, you can check out other films that are available on the online cinema at the same time. If you're a Foot Candle member and current member, you get a pass to see Rams uh, for free as part of your membership. So I hope you've used that. And we do encourage you checking it out. It's a a good movie to watch. And and whether you're a member or not a member, if you do watch it and uh, agree or disagree with our takes, we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, just send us an email and let us know info at footcandle.org. All right. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to do some news, mainly talking golden globe announcements on the film awards. And then, uh, we'll also be playing a little bit of a new trailer talking about, and we will be giving our recommendations of the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you once again from the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And we just finished with our reviews of the film Judas and the Black Messiah and Rams. We're giving positive reviews to both films, although both of them maybe felt like a, left us a little lacking in some areas we were hoping that they were going to be stronger. But um, overall, we're still saying two good films and, and worth your time checking out. Um, Chris, speaking of films worth checking out, you know, the Golden Globes are an award show that I, I don't really ever 
plan to watch. I don't have really no really interest in things, but what I do make a note to do is the morning after the Golden Globes, I do like to see what films were were winning. Sure. Mainly because I feel like it is the one that's giving it's the closest thing we've got right now to a little bit of a preview of maybe mm-hmm. where the Academy Awards could be leaning. Now that's not to say that this is where they're going to go because there's been plenty of years where completely different things have changed. <laughs> sure. Um, I think even last year, if I remember reading correctly, like the films that were big in the Oscars were not players at all in the Golden Globe. So you really can't use it as a terribly great predictor, but it is the closest thing we've got right now. So I'll use it. Sure. So let me hit uh, some of the film-related ones. That's why we're a film show. We don't need to talk about the television award categories. But a few of these, I think, some interesting surprises and some films that have now uh, gone up the ranks on my watch list as far as ones I'll probably feel like I need to start checking out before we get too deep into the award season. Uh, Let me start with just kind of the big ones right up front. So, you know, the Golden Globes has two categories. They do everything in dramas. Uh, or musical and comedy, which I still think is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of films that are very hard to place in one or the other, but so be it. Sure. Uh, the best motion picture as a drama was Nomadland, which you have seen. Yes. I have not. Okay. I will be watching it before Academy <laughs> Awards because I've got a feeling it'll be. So this be... lets you know I do need to watch this. Well, it was already on my list to begin sure. with. This is now even solidified it more. Um, best motion picture drama. That's the one Francis McDormand stars in. But what I thought was a great, um, award related to that is the best director award, which did go to Chloe Zhao, the director of Nomadland. Um, so not only is she the first, um, Asian American, uh, to be winning this, uh, the, the director award in the golden globes, but she's only the second woman to win it ever. Gotcha. Do you know who the first woman was? Um, was it, it's not the Hurt Locker, um, no. Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow. No, it's not her. She won uh, Oscar Best Director. Okay, but not, but not Golden Globe. First? Oh Back my. to 1983. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're no, not going no to get this. No. It's uh, Barbara Streisand for Yentl. Okay. Yep. That was the last time a woman, only other time a woman won gotcha. Best Director Golden Globes, and now Chloe Zhao is the second. Okay. So, I think huh. that was great. I was glad, happy to hear that. Um, and then the best motion picture, musical or comedy, Borat, subsequent movie film. We reviewed that on the fi- on the show here. Yes. Uh, we were both okay with it. Felt like it was a drop down from the original. Didn't, didn't care for it as much as that. But the best, the best comedy or kind of, I mean, when they say comedy or musical, to me that I kind of lump in anything that's like a light, lighter film, like right. a lighter drama or a lighter comedy or, or something with music in it. Well, you just look at the other nominees in the category. You have Hamilton, Palm Springs, the prom and music. So, you know, mm. yeah, it's kind of, it was kind uh, of a weak crowd, a little bit weak. Palm Springs, I me, mean, I think is good. That's an outright comedy. So that would yeah. kind of pair with Borat, but then you look at Hamilton and it's like that. Well, just, it's because it's just musical. Right, that's right. the only way they fit it in there. Right. And then the film music, Sia's film music is getting oh, trashed and panned right. and yeah. was kind of considered a surprise to even make the field on the Golden Globe. So sure. I guess given the field, yeah, I guess Borat could squeak out the win over Palm Springs, maybe. I mean, you can... Uh, both are pretty original creative films. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't have a lot of stock in, in anything in that category, sure. unfortunately, either way. Uh, but then we get down to the performances. So this is where there's some interesting films that I need to put on my radar. I don't know about you. Okay. Best performance by an actress in a motion picture in a drama was uh, Adra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. That's a film I did not have on my radar at all. But I've, um, I've heard of it, but yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. So, so I'm anxious to see it now. Mm-hmm. Sound like it was a great performance there in that film. And then best performance by an actress, uh, musical or comedy, was Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot. You've seen this one, right? I have. Mm-hmm. See, you've seen everything, Chris. No, I, I, not I, everything. I, okay. I didn't see the Billy Holiday. I know, but you're, you're <laughs> close. You're so much further ahead than me. Um, worthy of the... Award, Chris? Uh, we'll get more to that in recommendations. Oh, so if it's a recommendation, then you may <laughs> like it. Okay, good, good. Awesome. That's definitely another one I've got uh, higher on my list now. Okay. Um, on the best performance of an actress in a supporting role, they just have one supporting role award, even though they have two 
main acting awards again. Just to make everything as it's confusing screwy. as possible. Right. Uh, Jodie Foster for the Mauritanian. Mauritanian. Sure. Um, heard of the film? Yes. I actually have a screener sitting at home of I the film, mm-hmm. and I have not watched it yet. But like you say, that's some of what the Golden Globes can do, even though you and I don't watch them. Um, but they may give you, hey, you might want to catch up with these before Oscar time. Yeah. So that is one that I'm now – I had thought about checking because the director is the same director – blanking on his name right now, but he directed uh, Last King of Scotland. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, I didn't know that was the right. same. Right, so it's the okay. same director. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't seen any of his work. Kevin McDonald, Yes, maybe? that's it. You're and I hadn't right. seen any of his work in a while. So I'd heard he was a director of this. was like, okay, you know, it's it's worth me checking out. And now that Jodie Foster's won as a supporting role, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. So. Yeah, it's uh, the Martarian is uh, Jodie Foster, uh, Tahar Rahim, Shaleen Woodley, and <sighs> Benedict Cumberbatch oh, are wow, all in okay. that. So uh, it's about... Um, uh, a gentleman fighting for freedom after being detained and imprisoned without charge by the U.S. government for years. Um, Guantanamo, right? I think uh, maybe, doesn't say, but I'm say assuming that's okay. probably a good guess. And uh, unfortunately, probably a good pairing with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, talking about U.S. government acting outside of appropriate means. So gotcha. um, anyway, Jodie Foster did win for Best Supporting Actress in any motion picture for that role. Then we move to uh, The Gentleman, uh, Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama, Chadwick Boseman, winning post uh, uh, post his death, obviously, mm-hmm. for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's also a film I have not seen yet. Um, I, I, I have seen it. And, I'm uh, sure you have. <laughs> so. And uh, Yes, he's good. He's good? Okay. He's good. And I think, you know, who knows all the great performances he had yeah. ahead of him. But... I mean, he was getting better as the shame he, is he that was. I mean, it's just uh, this, he was definitely good in this. Yeah. And, you know, not that he wasn't good in Black Panther, but for him to win for a film like this, as opposed to maybe winning, maybe somehow for Black Panther, you know, he still did a good job. But like yeah. for not a comic book, Mark, for him right. being able to win for something like this, that's that's awesome. Yeah, so. no, I, I definitely look forward to seeing that. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen won Best Actor in Motion Picture Musical Comedy for the Borat film we talked about. And then, hearkening back to our original uh, review, best performance in a supporting role in any motion picture was Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, do you have the nominations pulled up? Was Lakeith Stanfield nominated for best actor oh, in a let's drama? See. Best actor in I a don't drama. I believe he was. Really? Let's see. Hold on just a second. No, he was not. Best actor in a drama, you know, Chadwick Boseman won, Gary Oldman, Tahir Rahim, Fourth Mauritanian, uh, Riz Ahmed, and Anthony Hopkins. Interesting. So he was not. So, yeah, in that film, and we feel like we can talk about it because we just discussed the film, you know, interesting that Kaluuya won for best supporting. So that would mean, seem to think that, like, okay, Lakeith Stanfield is the best. The lead. Lead, but like, I, well, I do see I him know. as the lead of the film. I kind of wish they start off with him. Well, and I kind of wish, okay. uh, I kind of wish Daniel Kaluuya's role was maybe a little more of a supporting role. Okay, I think that would have balanced the film out a little bit better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, Daniel Kaluuya definitely had the more <coughs> showy, yes, Oscar clip worthy yeah. role for sure. Sure, with the speeches and just his, his, um cadence and everything else just his his commanding presence on on the screen so anyway uh i get i get it Uh, i kind of wish stanfield had been nominated for something but we'll see again when it comes to oscars it could be a different story true uh then a few more categories on the film side best screenplay for a motion picture was aaron sorkin for the trial of chicago seven have not seen it <laughs> um, best original score for a motion picture was Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and John Baptiste for Soul. Uh, and then best just, original song. Just Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. I mean, yeah, he's done a lot of scores, but him doing a score for a Pixar movie yeah. to me is just vastly entertaining. It's very, it's, very it's, cool. And it's good, but it's just, it's just funny for me to think of how I first knew him and what he's doing now. Yeah, yeah. So Agreed. Just Agreed. kind of fun. <laughs> uh, best motion picture was Soul. And best motion picture foreign language, which this was a source of controversy when some of the things came out, yes. is Minari. Even though Minari is a yeah, American film, you know, uh, just because it features a, um, 
lead actors from another country uh, and, and English is not spoken dominantly in the film. Um, foreign language, I get it. I understand why there's kind of the distinction, but unfortunately it did put Minari in a different category than I think people feel like it, it should have been up there with some bigger category uh, nominations as well, right? Was it nominated for Best Picture at all? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I've, I think it I, got regulated to the foreign language, right. unfortunately. And when so. I saw that, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you yeah. know? But I get it. You know, there is a lot of foreign language in it. But um, it just seemed, whereas the other entries in that category are what you would typically think yeah. of, um, which, you know, you and I have talked about another round, which lost out, but we feel like that's maybe a favorite for the Oscar. Um, but who knows? Well, I think again, it's all about how they, how they, how they handle Minari. And right. if they treat it, you know, just like any other film and not regulate it to the foreign language side, uh, then I do think another round could be a kind of more of a favorite. Sure. Um, if they consider Minari as a foreign language film, which I mean, they can't because in the Oscars, each country has to submit and have their film kind of, in contention. That's my understanding. So, I mean, if this is a film that technically, by all all, all counts, is an American studio so film. America would have to submit it. Right. Then it can't <laughs> be. Work. Yeah. Country of origin is United States just because Korean is spoken prominently in the film. Right. Doesn't make it a, a foreign film or right. international film like the Academy Awards call it. Right. So, okay. A um, couple of snubs here, Chris. So there are two films that got I a lot of heard a certain movie yes. mentioned at all, which was my favorite film of 2020. I know. There were two films that uh, got went in with a lot of nominations and neither of them got anything. Very disappointed. I haven't heard about trolls world tour. That was one. No. <laughs> yeah. No, that actually surprisingly no nominations this year. I don't think, or maybe just animated film. <laughs> I don't know if it was or not. Uh, no. Well, first off the film Mank by David Fincher uh, got nothing. Which you're not terribly surprised. Or not dis- terribly I, I'm a little surprised. Um, I'm not disappointed because I do. I did like the film, but I don't feel like it was a best of the year uh, contender. But Promising Young Woman, that's the film that kind of smarts a little bit. You and I both are right now, that, that's sitting at the top film of the year for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did come in with, I think, four or five nominations and didn't get anything. And I have to say, I'm not surprised. Mm. Um, because I feel like, like you and I talked about, you know, it's has a lot of stuff going on in the film. It, it can be kind of challenging and I can understand some people really disliking it for how they feel like it may portray certain things, but, um, I am disappointed, but I'm, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this will be one that, um, I hope it will get some kind of nomination for the Oscars. And this will be the one where like, you know, Last year, like I always have a favorite and I'm like, you know, I just always want, you know, in each category, I'll be like, okay, this is who I want. We talk about, this is who I want to win. Mm-hmm. This is who I, who I think will win. Promising young woman. If they get nominated for some categories, I'll probably be like, okay, that's the one I want to win, yeah. but I don't think it will just because I'm, I'm pulling for it because I, I liked it so much to give, because it was trying so much and mm-hmm. seemed to be really original. So yeah. Now I'm with you. I was disappointed to see, especially the director. I was really hoping the director would actually get a nominee, would actually win um, for the film because I, I think she did an excellent job with it. Sure. Uh, and I would have been happy too with Carrie Mulligan for uh, lead actress. Yeah. But um, and she did was get not nom- meant to happen. She get nominated. No, there were there yeah. were nominations for sure. So right. it was at least recognized. So we can <laughs> take solace in that. Sure. But uh, not walking away with any trophies or whatever they give out for the Golden Globes. I'm not sure what it is. Is it actually a Golden Globe? I think it is a Golden Globe little award. Well, I guess that would make sense. Yeah. Um, but again, this gives us some insight as where some critical minds are thinking about films for the year. But keep in mind, last year, I think the Golden Globes were like, were like all over 1917. Okay. And then Parasite was obviously the big film in the Academy and Awards. That's an example. So. You talk about like Chris getting excited. We had an Oscar party for our film society. Um, and this was right before, because when the Oscars happened last year, before the pandemic hit, mm. and when they announced that Parasite won, I was like, yes! <laughs> like yeah. I just shot, because I was, was really, really, really excited about that. So. Well, uh, I I think we'll be overly exuberant if uh, pr- promising young woman were to win. I mean, definitely winning best picture, which I don't <laughs> think is going to happen, but no. I would love it if it did. Sure. Or at least best actress or mm-hmm. best director. I would be 
very, very happy. Or even screenplay. Screenplay would be good too. I I mean, I'd take any of those key big awards as as ones to win from. Sure. Um, Okay. So that's the Golden Globes. And now we just kind of wait. So the Academy Awards, the nominations get announced uh, March 15th. Yes. And the ceremony, I think you told me beforehand, is late April. Yeah, April 25th. Wow. So. Definitely later this year. So we will see what happens with that. Yep. Should be very interesting. All right, Chris, let's shift gears. Do we have, uh, you know, when we get together, we try to talk about if there's any films coming out that we're interested in or curious about, especially if trailers come out. Do we have one to talk about today? Well, it's a film that I am interested in. Okay. Um, Disney has had this thing recently where they've taken beloved animated films mm-hmm. and they have then recreated them with in live action versions, such as, you know, they did Maleficent. They pulled that villain from um, Sleeping Beauty and they mm-hmm. made that. They've just totally redone Beauty and the Beast, The Jungle Book, mm-hmm. Aladdin. So they just took... Um, now, kind of going back to that, take that they had where they pulled the villain, they have decided to pull the villain from 101 Dalmatians and make Cruella starring uh, Emma Stone and Paul Walter Hauser, who I'm, he's kind of a favorite of mine, kind of a newer face on the mm-hmm. horizon. Um, he's been in some films, but I, I really yes. like him. He's also in this film. Um, so the trailer for uh, Cruella, that's something I'm interested in. All right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and play some of the trailer for Cruella and then we'll uh, come back here in a second and talk about it. Here it goes. From the very beginning, I realized I saw the world differently than everyone else. That didn't sit well with some people. But I wasn't for everyone. I guess they were always scared that I'd be a psycho. <laughs> But a new day brings new opportunities. And I was ready to make a statement. How does the saying go? I am woman, hear me roar. getting started, darling. The thing is, I was born brilliant. Born bad. And a little bit mad. Right, so that was the trailer for Cruella. Chris, kind of. So, what's what's got you into ice about this project? Well, you know, first off, it looks like kind of a Disney's decided to make like a Joker, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you know, just the fact I'm like, okay, interesting, because obviously Joker was a take on a very much beloved comic book character from the Batman franchise. And it was R-rated and it was dark. And we know the rest of everything else we've talked about with that, that particular film. So here you have Disney, who you know prides itself on family entertainment and um, you know, taking a character from a beloved movie. And this, you know, comes across as, you know, Emma Stone mentions a couple of times in the trailer being, you know, crazy or mm-hmm. you know, looking and she looks and acts somewhat disturbed. Um so not that, you know, she's a villain in the 101 Dalmatians movie, but just I'm sure they won't go total dark because it is Disney. Yeah. But it just, it looks to be an interesting film. And I think I would be surprised if Emma Stone just didn't have a blast playing this. She seems to be in the trailer. So absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think, think that I, I just, I don't know. I, I think I'm in the mood for something like this. That'll be different. And maybe, you know, I, I, she's having fun and I can see Paul Walter Hauser seems to be playing like one of the stooges that she has. Mm-hmm. And I I could see him just kind of really having fun with that too, so I I don't know. Could I, be good. It could be. It sounds like it could be good. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, here's here's my so I showed this trailer at my house you know, and, okay. and my wife immediately when the trailer's done she's like okay that's brilliant I'm like oh so the idea of like taking you know the villain and 
making something very stylish around it and kind of a, seems a little dark. I agree with you. I don't think Disney is going to let it go super dark. Well, if anything, the thing I'm a little worried about is it's going to be too light. And it's actually going to be kind of redeeming her as a while. Although she murders puppies. Okay. Let's go ahead and remember in 101 Dalmatian, she, she well, kills dogs. Okay, now, so we'll <laughs> yeah. get, hopefully people, if you had any desire to see Maleficent, you did something that that film did is they did try to redeem Maleficent yeah. a little bit. And I actually, that was a surprise to me. I didn't know that they were going to do that. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, Cause you know, in the original sleeping beauty, you just hate her. She's a yeah, witch yeah. and you just hate her with this. I will be a little angry and disappointed if they do try to redeem her because yeah, like I don't really, maybe you feel a little sorry for her because she feels like she's always been spat kind of like the Joker complex. I've yeah. always been a loser. People treat me this way. They treat me unfairly, but then you go and become a complete wacko. Like I, I don't, I don't know, but I, I feel like it would be a mistake maybe to try to redeem her. Maybe. Well, it's just hard to reconcile if you redeem her in this, in this film and give her a backstory that makes you sympathize with her. And then you realize, I mean, the next time we see her in the actual original 101 Dalmatian, yeah, she, she, she's a dog murderer. Right. <laughs> so it's going to be really hard for just That's people. I think to, it. She's just a dog. Murderer. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be really hard to reconcile that. Right. I think so with people, but I'll be curious. I mean, I don't expect D- Disney to let it go completely dark. There's some shots in the trailer where you've got her crying as she's like driving away. It makes you kind of think that she's going to be, you're going to see it a little bit more of a sympathetic side or understanding her a little bit more. I don't know. When I, I, think uh, I just don't want all the Disney villains to just become good people all of a sudden where, <laughs> right. or misunderstood characters. Sure. And uh, I don't know. When I, that's a lot of what has me excited too. you know, there again, it's just a trailer, but a lot of the shots look, really Oh, they look, well the shot it's looks, just, the, the film looks really, really great. I love the really style sharp. of it. And, yeah. uh, and like you said, I think Emma Stone seems to be having a lot of fun. This is just a, a, a role you can just completely, go overboard with and have fun with. It's not, it doesn't appear that it's taking itself too seriously because of some of her line deliveries and the way they have the trailer edited. Um, It'll be just cartoonish enough that I think it'll be able to maintain like a PG rating or a PG 13 rating. Yeah. But just edgy enough to be something different. Maybe we'll see. Sounds like it could be good. It could be. (laughs) We're going to keep our eye on it. I think that's got a release date of, Oh gosh, May. So like, Two months away. And I think, there again, I just blanked on the trailer because we watched it really quick, but I think it said only in theaters uh, May 28th, and then maybe they'll be brought to Disney Plus as opposed to doing a simultaneous release. Yeah, I I don't know offhand what the release schedule is on it. I do believe they weren't planning on going to Disney Plus first. First, right. So I think theatrical. Mulan. (laughs) Right. Hoping that by May there'll be some more theater activity and then. Uh, then it should be going to Disney Plus right. within some window of time, I would imagine. Sure. So, okay. Good deal. Well, that is our news Golden Globes and the trailer for the new film, Cruella. Um, Chris, it's the point of our show now where we always kind of end our episodes with a recommendation. Yes. You and I both kind of scour our film list and history and look to see films that we may want to recommend to the audience or just. Whether it's a film we had a chance to kind of revisit recently or we just came into contact with for the first time, whatever that case may be, uh, I'm going to let you go first, Chris, and tell me what your recommendation for the episode is this week. Well, as I kind of alluded to when we were discussing the Golden Globes, um, I did catch up with I Care A Lot, uh, the comedy crime thriller, it's how it's listed in IMDb, that stars Rosamund Pike. Uh, she is a crooked legal guardian who drains the savings of her elderly patients' awards and meets her match when she decides she picks one woman and tries to swindle her, and played by Diane Weist, which is fun to see Diane Weist in this role mm-hmm. of this elderly person. Um, and it turns out to be a lot more than what she'd kind of bargained for. Hmm. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but Rosamund Pike, I remember her from Gone Girl. Yeah. Um, and that was a really, you know, big performance and stuff. But I, I had kind of forgotten about her. And mm-hmm. this is kind of like a movie where she's like, hello, remember me? Mm-hmm. I'm awesome. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think she is really good. I mm-hmm. can see why she got a nomination, why she won for this film. It did come straight to Netflix. So okay. I can see that's why it's because, you know, Netflix uses the fire hose approach and you don't really see a lot of stuff coming out. Um, so this is a chance you know, maybe to try to catch up with it before the Oscars. It is, you know, available on Netflix. Um, 
the story is surprising. And I will say, you know, obviously it's, it's dark. I mean, it's a person who's manipulating elderly people and milking them for their money. Um, it's dark, yeah. but it manages to find comedy. Um, and there are also some brutal things that happen between what happens with some competition that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, the supporting cast, uh, I'll just say, you know, I mentioned Diane Weist. Uh, Peter Dinklage is in this mm-hmm. and he's awesome. Okay. Um, and that's cool. all I'll say. <laughs> wow. Um, and Macon Blair, who's kind of an independent oh, yeah. film person. Sure. He's, he's in this as well. And I really, I really liked the part that he had in the, in the film. So it is not for everyone. I would definitely say it is a hard R. It is some, it's more of just kind of like a drama, a crime drama, but it does have some comedic elements played well in there. So not for everyone, mm-hmm. but if you're not scared by some of what I've said, it is definitely worth checking out. I'd be interested to hear your take on it, Alan. All right. Well, it has definitely been added to my list. So I care a lot, uh, starring Rosamund Pike. Again, she won for uh, best actress in a comedy or, dr- or musical. So I think that's the category. So, okay, great. Thank you for that, Chris. And then I, uh, you know, Chris, uh, things, uh, things around us seem to be getting a little better, you know, around the world. I yes. feel like, I feel like there's a little bit, we're starting to kind of starting to pull out of the, the last year that we've had, which has been troubling and problematic and not the best years at all. Right. So I had opportunity over the last couple of weeks, you know, to watch films and, I had a choice. I said, do I, do I watch something that's on this Oscar watch list that I probably need to watch that is probably going to be very deep and impactful and something I need to really pay attention to? Or do I go for something kind of light, maybe a little dumb, uh, but just something for fun? fun. I went with the dumb fun. Okay. And what I ended up watching was the film. And I know you're a fan of the film because I see your letterbox rating on it. And remember, you talked about it in a previous episode. Is the film Good Boys oh. uh, from just last year. This is the one starring Jacob Tremblay, who I really like Jacob Tremblay oh, as yeah. an actor. I think he's great. Okay, uh, you've seen him in The Room. I've seen him in Room, okay. and I've seen him in this. Okay, and that's, that's, uh, that's all it pretty takes. much it. Yep. <laughs> okay. And he's great. He's yeah. such a good, good young actor. He's yeah. so much fun to watch. And I really like his two co-stars in this. So here's the thing. It's a, it's a young kid buddy comedy a group of young boys the, uh, close to teenage years, but not quite there yet. Uh, they're on an epic quest to fix their broken drone before their parents get home. It sounds pretty simple, and it is a pretty simple movie, but it's really three boys during the course of this day, um, not only uh, realizing that they're getting a little older and that things are going to change in their lives as they become teenagers, exploring their relationship between the three of them. Uh, but again, they are they have a drone that's gotten broken and stolen, and they have to try to get it back. Uh, it is... A little raunchy, although I expected it to be more raunchy going in, but it's not as bad as I expected it to be, I guess, build, given all the buildup. It was a lot more sweet than I expected than uh, than raunchy. So I, I remember, too, that was my big takeaway. I remember seeing trailers for this movie yeah. in the theater, and I think some of them were even red band, maybe, yeah. cause it's, and you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in this. Like, you know, yeah. taking red band material and putting it on these little kids, like, that's, yeah, like, Cringe inducing, mm-hmm. but no, it actually, it's a lot sweeter than what there are said. a few couple scenes. Sure, that, yeah, sure. Are. are definitely are meant for shock value of <laughs> these kids kind of interacting with very adult situations. Right. But overall, I was more just interested in the, the dynamics of these three, these three kids and sure. their friendships. And what I really liked is there's kind of some development, even with one of the characters I think was, well, both of uh, all three of them, but definitely the other two, the ones that were not Jacob Tremblay. Gotcha had some really interesting development passes as, as characters. So I, I really liked where the film ended with them. Um, so I thought it was a fun movie. It was an enjoyable, nice surprise. Um, yeah. Based like, you know, like you said, based on the trailers that came out when this film came out and even the posters, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know what it was for so long that they tried to make these comedies. The poster is always this bright red with these big white words. And it's always kind of this, it's supposed to denote this very raunchy kind of uh, comedy thing. And I just don't think this, this deserved that kind of marketing. This is a, a much better film than, than the marketing gave it off to be. So I did like it a lot. So that's good boys. I had fun with it from 2019. Uh, I am recommending it. Yeah, it. Yes, it is a little raunchy. So just be not aware of that. Film. It's not a family <laughs> film, but it is uh, I think it's a, I think it's a fun film though. 
That's a good deal. All right. So that's Good Boys. And then I Care A Lot to comedies somewhat, you know, at least uh, some comedic parts yeah. in the film uh, on both of them. And again, recapping, we had our reviews of Judas and the Black Messiah. We're both positive on that. If not, maybe a little let down with what the potential could have been there. And then the film Rams were saying uh, not as good as the original. And maybe the original had a little bit more interesting uh, things going on in it. But this is still, I think, overall an enjoyable film to watch. And then we had our recommendations and then our film news to Golden Globes. Talked about those outcomes and the trailer for the new Disney film, Cruella. So a nice big full episode, Chris. But if somebody had any thoughts at all, questions, ideas about anything we talked about, how would they go about getting a hold of us? Please send us an email to info at footcandle.org. Or you can also follow us on Twitter and message us on Twitter. We are at footcandlefilm. Uh, Alan and I are also independently both on Letterboxd. You can try to track what we're seeing. And sometimes we do little short reviews there. I will say, I think Alan mentioned it at the very beginning of the show, but now until the festival will be my job to make sure I mention it. Um, If you are a filmmaker, please submit a film for our 2021 film festival that'll be held September 22nd through the 26th. Um, You can go to either Film Freeway, which is how you can submit a film, or you can go to our website, footcandle.org, and find out information there about the film festival. Um, But one way or the other, the festival is coming up. You can watch the films when it does happen or submit a film for consideration. All right. That's great. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Remember to uh, visit TheMesh.TV to see not only back episodes of this this show, but finding other shows and podcasts to listen to as well. TheMesh.TV, T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV is where you can do that. FootCandle.org is where you can follow the Foot Candle Film Society and see that the films that we have available, especially on our online virtual cinema. We do encourage you to check that out. And, uh, and also the Foot Candle Film Festival, Chris has already mentioned. So lots of ways to stay in touch with us, and we hope to hear from you soon. But until then, we will just be uh, ready to record our next episode coming up soon. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.